0: Some do not believe in a literal, eternal hell. About 20 years ago, I sat in Denton, Texas, and listened as a man by the name of Edward Fudge spent a great deal of time trying to explain away what the Lord said about hell. In the early 90s, F. Lagarde Smith began to toy with the idea and then later announced that he no longer believed in a literal eternal punishment in hell. After his death, a book was released under the name of one of the finest commentators that we'll ever find on books of the Bible. And in that book, Brother Homer Haley stated, there was no such thing as a literal, eternal hell. And probably the man among us who has had more success and preached stronger and more powerful on hell than anyone perhaps in a long time. When Brother Jimmy Allen released his autobiography, stated he would no longer preach his famous sermon on hell. Martin Marty wrote, Hell disappeared and no one noticed. For liberal Protestants, hell began to fade in the 19th century along with Calvinism's stern and predestining God. Today, he said, hell is theology's H word a subject too trite for serious scholarship. One survey of evangelical seminary students revealed that 46% felt preaching about hell to unbelievers to be in poor taste. Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you tonight, the Bible teaches that there is a literal, eternal hell. In the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 43 through 48, in verse 43, Jesus said, And if thy hand caused thee to stumble, cut it off. It is good for thee to enter into life maimed, rather than having thy two hands to go into hell. Now that's the literal word there, Gehenna into the unquenchable fire. If you drop down to verse 45, he continues, And if thy foot causes thee to stumble, cut it off. It is good for thee to enter into life halt, rather than having thy two feet to be cast into Gehenna. If you drop down to verse 47, And if thine eye causes thee to stumble, cast it out. It is good for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. You see, hell was created for the devil and his messengers, his angels. Matthew 25 and verse 41. Tonight, if I had the ability, and oh, I wish that I did, to be able in some way to take our language and explain to you how terrible hell is. I would only have begun to touch the helm of the truth. Tonight as we develop our subject of hell, I want to ask and answer four questions. In the first place tonight, why preach on hell? Now you might say, on a Tuesday night of gospel meeting, surely there are more important topics that you could discuss. Certainly there are more pleasant topics that you could discuss. And thus I want to know why in a gospel meeting, on a Tuesday evening, would you talk about the subject of hell? In the first place, we preach on hell in order to preach the whole counsel of God. In Acts chapter 20 and in verse 27, Paul said to the elders of the church of Christ at Ephesus, whom he had called to himself at Miletus, that I shun not or shrink not from declaring unto you the whole counsel of God. You see, in the book of Matthew, chapter 25 and verse 46, Jesus said that the unrighteous shall go away into everlasting punishment. In the book of John, chapter 5 and in verse 29, Jesus said that there is going to be a resurrection unto condemnation and that individuals are going to go there. And as Jim mentioned, we talked about heaven last night and in order to preach the entire counsel of God we preach on hell. In the second place, we preach on hell to awaken unfaithful Christians. You see, if you looked around you and you know the history of this congregation, you might say to me, why on a Tuesday night would you be doing something to awaken unfaithful Christians? Don't you know that on a Tuesday night of a gospel meeting, that the individuals who would be thus assembled would be faithful Christians? And I would ask you, are there empty pews in this building tonight that in time past, on a Tuesday night, would have been populated with members of this congregation? Each one of us tonight who is accountable is one temptation Away from being unfaithful. And so tonight we preach on hell to awaken unfaithful members. You see, like those in Ephesus in Revelation 2 verses 4 and 5, some have left their first love. When you read the book of Acts chapter 20, and Paul warns them of this, and then you read the book of Ephesians, and there's that great emphasis on the greatness of the church. You would never suppose in a zillion years that you would read what you read in Revelation 2 where Jesus threatens to remove the candlestick which means He will sever complete fellowship with that congregation. And yet they've lost their first love. Like those in Laodicea in Revelation three fourteen to 22 Some are lukewarm. Jesus said, I would that ye were cold or hot But because you are not cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because you are lukewarm. And I've heard people say that Jesus is saying there, I wish you were either completely against me or completely for me and not lukewarm. I don't believe that for a minute. The Son of God who came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10, would never tell folks, I wish you were completely against me. Here's what I believe He's saying. Cold, Is always cold. Hot is always hot. You can count on it. It's steady. And Jesus is saying, I wish you were steady. I wish you could be counted on like cold is cold and hot is hot. But because you're unsteady. James referred to it as a man who is unstable in all of his ways. I will spew you out of my mouth. Some, like those mentioned in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, do not assemble regularly. Now one of the reasons, if you read the context of the book of Hebrews, that they were not assembling regularly was they had lost their appreciation for the cross. And they had now elevated an animal sacrificial system on a par with, if not above, the once for all sacrifice of the Christ. And that's what's involved in verse 26 and following. If you leave the cross, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. There's nothing left. You go back to animals and they won't help you now. That's been taken out of the way. And so the Hebrews writer said, Not forsaking our own assemblies together, the idea there, the assemblies of exhortation, as the custom of some is, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day drawing nigh. Like those in Matthew 6 and 33, or unlike those rather, some do not seek the kingdom first. And I want to ask you tonight, on a Tuesday night of a gospel meeting, where does the kingdom of God rate in your priority system? Jesus said, but, that's a contrast, so you need to read what's above it, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. And all these things, in the context, food and drink and clothing, will be added Unto you, Where is the church in your life? When an extra hour of overtime contradicts with the hour of worship. When the opportunity to be involved in some recreational activity or fun thing contradicts with the assembling of the saints. Where is the kingdom of God? When it comes time to prioritize how you are going to use the finances that God has loaned you. Where is the kingdom of God? I remember preaching this several years ago at a congregation not far from where I was preaching full time. And our members turned out. I told them they had to hear me all the time. They were gluttons for punishment. But they turned out. And I preached this sermon on hell. The next Wednesday night, as I sat on the front row getting ready for our devotional period prior to class, one of our members who sat on that second row tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, I want you to know after you preach that sermon, I determined that on Wednesday nights, even though I'm on the road as a salesman for my company, I will be in Bible study on Wednesday night. He said, I had put sales and salesmanship above the kingdom. Some are not steadfast and unmovable. Paul concluded the great resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. By saying wherefore, now boys and girls, the wherefore is a conclusion word. Be ye steadfast and unmovable, always abounding, that word means overflowing, in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So tonight we preach on hell to awaken unfaithful Christians. Tonight we preach on hell to motivate Christians to work harder to keep people From going there. I wonder tonight. Do you really believe folks are going to hell? Are you really convinced that some of your family members. If they die like they are right now will go to hell? Are you convinced that some of your close associates and acquaintances. If they die like they are right now will go to hell? Do you really believe that? Or has the devil and hell become something on the order of a fairy tale and a myth, or as Flip Wilson got my generation to do—something to be laughed at. And I want to tell you something: if you're laughing at the devil tonight, you're not afraid of him. And if you're not afraid of him, of him, he has you. And we need to be well aware that folks are going to hell tonight. In fact, Jude captured the urgency of it in Jude 23 when he said, "...and some save snatching them out of the fire." What would you have done tonight on your way to the worship service if you'd seen a car on fire and saw somebody in there? Would you have stopped? Would you have gone over there? Would you have tried with all of your might to get them out of there? Would you have tried to snatch them out? If I do that for a car fire, which will last for only a short period of time, why would I not do it even with more energy When folks are going to live in eternity in hell. The sad refrain from Jesus in Luke 10 too is, The harvest indeed is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I want to ask you something tonight. Why is it when we do a work that's destined and determined to try to keep people from going to hell, we have to put up a list and get folks to sign up to do what they ought to be doing every day anyway. Why is that? Paul was so intent on national Israel being saved that in Romans 10, 1, he said, My heart's desire and prayer for Israel, that's national Israel there, is that they be saved. How many people have you prayed for today that they be saved? How many decisions have you made today based on the fact that someone could be in hell? And then we preach on hell to warn alien sinners. It's a sobering thing to think about, that one might be suffering in hell in the next minute. Remember when David was running from Saul, Saul trying to kill him, and he told Jonathan, I won't be present at the feast. Remember what he said in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 3? There is but a step between me and death. You see, that's true of all of us. There is but a step between me and death. And I never know when that's going to come. I climbed into a patrol car with an officer one night. And not long before the end of the shift, we took off on a chase one minute. And 103.8 miles per hour later, we hit a light pole. And knocked us both out threw the car into the road, tore the front of it all. We're on fire in the car. We're lying in the back of the car unconscious. They pull us both out of the car and neither one of us knows it. And while our chief was putting on his shoes, after having been told about the wreck, he received a phone call and said, I believe both the officers are dead. We could have been. One minute is all it took from start to finish. Just a step. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, Paul said, We shall all, now it's the biggest little word in your Bible, all, be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that, in order that, each one may receive the deeds done in the body according to that which ye have done, whether it be good or evil. So we preach on hell tonight for these and other reasons that could be given. In the second place tonight, what is hell like? Now Here's where I wish I had the power and the oratory ability to make hell so real to you tonight that you would lift your feet off the floor because you could feel the flames. And I want to say to you tonight before I even mention what the Bible gives us as a description of hell that the Bible uses the best language they had in the Greek at that time, we have in the English by means of translation, to try to tell us what hell's like, and our languages are inadequate. Just like last night, as beautiful as heaven is depicted in the Bible, that language is too inadequate to tell us how beautiful heaven really is. This language is inadequate to accurately and with the intensity Describe how bad hell is. You keep that in mind. When you think, oh, that's horrible, multiply it by about a zillion. And that won't even touch it. Hell is a place of separation from God. In 2 Thessalonians 1, to 7-9, Paul said to some people who were suffering for being Christians, And the you that are afflicted or troubled rest with us. And the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with the angels of His power, in flaming fire, rendering vengeance unto them, two categories, that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who shall suffer everlasting destruction, now notice the stress, even eternal separation from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Ladies and gentlemen, if you and I are separated, That may cause us inward pain, as the song says. But you think about being eternally separated from God. That's what hell's like. Hell is a place of unsatisfied desires. When you read the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, and you listen as Jesus talks about a man who had everything on earth and died and had nothing in eternity but punishment. And the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment and he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus and there are going to be two requests, two desires. Your homework assignment tonight is when you get home, see how much water you can get on the tip of your finger. Send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water. I don't want a bucket full. I don't want a gallon. I don't want a jug full. I don't want a glass full. I just want the amount he can get on the tip of his finger. Let him dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in this flame. And Abraham said, That desire cannot be satisfied. And then he said, I have five brothers back home, by implication, that are living just like I live. They're living their lives in violation of the law of Moses just like I did. Would you send Lazarus back from the dead that he might warn them so that they not come to this place? And Abraham said, that desire cannot be satisfied. Hell is a place of unsatisfied desire. Hell is a place of vile companionship. The worst, the meanest, the most cruel, the filthiest people who have lived on this earth will populate hell. Revelation 21.8, folks like the abominable, the sorcerers, the fornicators, the idolaters, and all liars. And you go over and drop down a few verses to verse 27. They that love and make a lie... Everything that's abominable will not be in heaven, but it will be in hell. I'm going to tell you something. It's bad enough to have to live with that filth here on this earth. You think about living with those kinds of folk in eternity. I put some folks in jail that I certainly don't want to live with in eternity. Sometimes I have people tell me, James, I'd be a member of the church. I'd obey the gospel if it weren't for all those hypocrites you have down there. And have you ever noticed that folks in town generally know more about what goes on in the congregation that's bad than we do? And generally, they know it before we do. Have you ever noticed that? And they can give you a list of all the hypocrites in the congregation. But apparently, they've never turned in their Bibles to Matthew 24 and 51 and read that If you allow a hypocrite to keep you from being a Christian and a faithful Christian, not only have they kept you away from God, they're going to get you to live with them in eternity. And you don't want to do that. Vile companionship. Hell is a place of hopelessness. Those of you who have read Dante's Inferno remember that over the gate of hell... Abandon all hope all ye that enter therein. You see, if hell had a duration, let's just say it's a trillion years. I don't know what a trillion is. Let's just say it's got that many zeros after. After the first day, I'd have one day less than I had when I got there. And I could count that thing down because I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not going out of existence. And I have hope. But hell has no duration. I wish I could explain to you what it's like to have no hope. I've sat in hospital rooms and I've sat with families when a physician would come out and say, I am so sorry, but there's no hope. I've seen the blood drain out of their faces. I've seen individuals who are in absolute shock. What are they trying to do? They're trying to comprehend no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, Paul said, I'm writing these words to comfort you over the loss of your loved one so that you not sorrow, even as the rest, the King James says others, who have no hope. Do you know what it's like to preach a funeral for someone that as far as you can tell had no hope? And you're trying to comfort a family. You're trying to give them something on which to hang for the rest of their earthly existence, mentally, about that loved one. And you cannot give them any hope and tell the truth. That's miserable. That's miserable. Hell is a place of suffering. In our reading earlier, Matthew 9, 43 to 48, Jesus said. It would be better for you to live your life on earth handicapped. Without a hand, without a foot, without an eye. And the world considers that terrible. You're not going to be able to to live life to your fullest because of some handicap. Jesus said it would be much better to live life on this earth handicapped and go to heaven than to have everything you need to enjoy everything the devil will give you on this earth and live eternally in Gehenna which is a word that came from a garbage dump outside Jerusalem where fires burned all the time. Place of suffering. The rich man, Luke sixteen, nineteen to thirty-one, whom we mentioned, said, I'm tormented in this flame. In Matthew twenty-two and thirteen, Jesus said, There will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Have you ever seen someone in so much pain they were gnashing their teeth? But that pain will subside. This suffering never ends. If you read the fourteenth chapter of the book of Revelation, verses nine through eleven, in that chapter tonight, and I would encourage you to read it when you get home, you learn four things. Number one, hell is punishment for God's opponents. If tonight I am in opposition to God by my lifestyle and by my decisions and by my thinking, then I am an opponent of God and if I die like that, hell is the punishment. Number two you learn, the punishment is severe. Number three you learn, the victims are conscious. And number four you learn, the punishment is eternal. So what do you have? You have conscious, severe suffering as a result of being an opponent of God eternally. Hell is a place of darkness. In Second Peter two and four, Peter said, The angels that sinned were cast down into pits of darkness. In Jude thirteen, Jude talks about the blackness of darkness. In Matthew 25 and 30, Jesus said, Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Now look at the intensity. Not just darkness, but the blackness of darkness. Not just the blackness of darkness, but outer darkness. Hell is a place of fire. In Matthew 13, 42, it's referred to as the furnace of fire. You remember Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Boys and girls know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Babylonian names. Remember, they were cast into a furnace heated seven times hotter than had ever been heated before. And they survived because of the fourth man in the fire, the preexistent Jesus, or the Christ at that time, the Word. But I want you to observe that if you go into the furnace of fire, you will never be annihilated. You will suffer there. In Matthew 25 and 41, it is called the eternal. We read earlier in Mark 9, 44 and 45, where it is called the unquenchable fire. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, these people are going away into the lake of fire and brimstone. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, is the lake of fire. My firefighter friend said, James, you don't ever want to see anybody burned to death. They said, you don't ever get it out of your mind. You don't ever forget the smell. You don't ever forget the agony. Brother Marshall Keeble had a marvelous way of getting things down where the boys and girls could understand it. And Brother Keeble said, You let man on earth build the hottest fire he knows how to build let him use all of his technology and build the hottest fire he could ever build. And if you take a man out of hell and put him into that fire, he'd freeze to death in ten seconds. Hell is a place of fire. Hell is a place of memory. If only I had responded on that Tuesday night. If only I had listened to that man who knocked on my door. If only I had paid attention to that preacher who was trying to help me. If only I had taken that Scripture seriously and applied it to my life. If only I had paid attention to all that I was taught through my life. If, 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 if. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that in Luke sixteen twenty five, Abraham said to the rich man, Son, remember. Remember. Hell is eternal. Matthew 25, 46. The unrighteous shall go away into everlasting life. And ladies and gentlemen, hell is a place of divided families. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 10, 34 to 37 that there will be some in a family, a mother and a daughter, a father and a son, a mother and a daughter-in-law, and throughout the family relationships where some will obey me and some will not, and as a result of me and my truth, families will be divided. God made the man the spiritual leader in the home, and I want to ask the men tonight as a result of your leadership, if things go as your leadership is going in your home, will your family be divided eternally? Over 30 years ago, I stood in the parking lot in Anniston, Alabama, of a church building one night, and I talked to a young man who had just had a baby. And that baby was growing and he said, my parents have never seen our baby live in the same town. He said, when I became a Christian, as far as they were concerned, I ceased to exist. A divided family. That's terrible here on this earth. It'll be even more terrible eternally. Our third question tonight, who is going to hell? You mean you're going to be presumptuous enough to tell who is there? Oh, no, not me. But the Lord told. And I'm going to relate to you, the ones that He said would go to hell. He said the immoral will go to hell. In Galatians 5, 19-21, in the King James Version, He lists 16 sins in the American Standard 15. And He said, Everyone who commits any of these, and then He uses this word, and such like... Which I say in South Georgia means and all their kinfolks, not only these, but everything like them. Those who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In Revelation twenty one eight, all this list that we mentioned a little while ago of the of the liars and idolaters and sorcerers and blasphemers and all of those kinds of people will not go to hell will not go to heaven. Have you ever thought about how little we make of a lie today? Have you ever thought about folks will look you in the eye and lie to you as if they're telling you the honest truth from the depths of their soul? I want to tell you tonight, what we call little white lies will land you in hell eternally. It's not a funny thing to lie to somebody. I'll be there at 9 o'clock. The check is in the mail. And on and on you could go. Over in Corner, Alabama, there's a store that's called Brammer Attaway's Store. And everybody in Corner, Alabama used to do business with Brammer Attaway. In fact, he'd sit on a stool and talk. Money'd be laid out on the counter, and you'd put down whatever you owe and make whatever change you need to make, and you go on about your business. When I was in school, Rex Turner Sr. said this, boys. If you tell a man you're going to be at Brammer Addaway store at 6 o'clock in the morning, be at Brammer Addaway store at 6 o'clock in the morning. But we laugh at a lie, don't we? We laugh at telling people, I didn't know when we did. Tell them mama's not home when she is. In Romans 1, 21 to 32, you read a horrible list of sins. Three times in that text it is said God gave them up. I want you to listen very carefully. If I give up on you tonight, that may or may not be a big deal. But when God gives up on you, you're lost. And he, he listed things, not only homosexuality, which is a big deal today, that some folks are trying to write off and even make a hate crime if you tell them what to keep them out of hell. He listed things like covenant breakers. Do you know when you walk out of that baptistry you've entered into a covenant to be faithful to God either until you die or until you will die for Him? And if you don't do that, you are a covenant breaker. Do you know that? Disobedient to parents? People without natural affection? That means you'll have a baby and throw it in a trash bin. And Paul said there are some that don't practice these things. But they support and take pleasure in those who do. Immoral people. The uncharitable will go to hell. Matthew 25, 31-46. Jesus said, I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You didn't take care of me. That's what that word visit means. You know what they said? They said the same thing those of us who are their folks, say. Lord, had we known it, were you. If you'd have just told us, it was you. Jesus said it was. When you wouldn't do it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you wouldn't do it to me if you knew it was me. Because that's your attitude. Paul said in Galatians 6.10, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially they of the household of faith. Those in false religions are going to hell. You see, Jesus in Matthew 7, 13, and 14 said there are two ways, not 150. out of 1,503. There are two ways. One leads to destruction. One leads to eternal life. One is straightened and narrow. The other is broad and wide. And you're in one of the two if you're an accountable being in this assembly tonight. In Matthew 7, 15 to 27, Jesus said, beware of false prophets. And he said, let me tell you what they do. They say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name and in thy name or by thy name cast out demons and by thy name do many mighty works? Lord, we claim to be doing it by your authority. You ever turn on your television and hear that? And listen to folks teach everything but what the Lord teaches. Now here's what the Lord said, Then will I say unto them, Depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. You see, those in the wrong church will go to hell. Matthew fifteen thirteen, Every plant which my heavenly Father planted not shall be rooted up. It makes a difference to which church you belong. If you don't believe that, get your Bible down and look at how many the Lord said He would build, which church He said He would build, which church is He head, of which church is He the head, which church is He going to save. And you don't have to take my word for that or anybody else's, any other preacher anybody else's word. It's right there in your own Bible. Unfaithful Christians are going to hell. You know, sometimes when you preach sermons like this, people say, well, you're unloving and you're unkind. I want to tell you something. The most loving man who ever walked the face of this earth, you know him by the name of Jesus. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, took 35 verses to tell the scribes and Pharisees they were going to hell. And he didn't mince words with it either. Was he unloving and uncharitable? No, no. He was doing all he knew to do to keep them out of it. Do you know why he kept pleading with Judas when for a long time he had known who it was that would betray him? It was to keep Judas from going to his own place. And Judas rejected the efforts. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 5-11, Peter said, if these graces are not in you, you're blind and you can't see afar off and you have forgotten the cleansing from your past sins. Let me tell you what happens to a Christian who doesn't come on Sunday night and Wednesday night and during a gospel meeting, vacation, Bible school, whatever activity the congregation did, he's forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. I didn't say that, Peter did. In Revelation 3 and 16, Here are some folks who think they're saved and the Lord said, you need to buy eye salves so your eyes can be healed so you can see where you really are. And then you can come in repentance and be healed. Those who do not obey the gospel will go to hell. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it that is contained within the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. Listen, it can't be any more clear than 2 Thessalonians 1.7-9. Who is going to be separated from the presence of the Lord, even that presence of the Lord? Those that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our, third, our fourth question tonight, how may I avoid hell? If I want to stay out of hell, then I'm going to have to do what the Lord said in order to stay out of it. And it starts by getting out of me And paying attention to what Jesus said. We call that obeying the gospel plan of salvation. I studied this word and I'll come away with one conclusion. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 8, 24. Except you believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. I'll realize that I can't walk with him and be in fellowship with him and live like I want to live. So I'm going to have to change my mind about that. I'm sorry for what I've done in the past that was wrong. I'll do anything I can to correct it. From this moment on, on purpose, I won't violate that law. That's called repentance. And God commands it of all men everywhere, Acts 17.30. I'll grace my lips with the sweetest name on mortal tongue. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8 and 37. I'll be buried in the waters of baptism so Jesus Christ's blood can wash my sins away, Acts 22.16. I'll be raised to walk a new life, Romans 6 and 4. And I'll be faithful till I die, either putting my life on the line or my life runs out naturally. Revelation 2 and verse 10. You don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. But I'm the only one, you're the only one who can prevent your going there. A man staggered home from a barroom floor, having drunk so much he could drink no more. He went to bed with a troubled brain and dreamed that night he rode a hell-bound train. The engine with blood was red and damp and was dismally lit with a brimstone lamp. And imps for fuel were shoveling bones and the firebox roared with a thousand groans. The boiler was filled with whiskey and beer and the devil himself was the engineer. The passengers made such a motley crew, hypocrites, atheists, Gentile, and Jew. Rich men in broad cloth and beggars in rags, yellow and black men, red, brown, and white, all chained together made a horrible sight. Faster and faster the engine flew. Wilder and wilder the country grew. Louder and louder the thunder crashed. Brighter and brighter the lightning flashed. Hotter and hotter the air became till the clothes were burned from every frame. And in the distance was heard a yell, Ha ha! cried the devil. We're nearing hell. And oh, how the passengers shrieked with pain and begged the devil to stop the train. But he capered about and danced with glee and laughed and joked at their agony. My faithful friends, you've done my work and the devil will never. A payday shirt. You have bullied the weak and robbed the poor and the man of God. You turned from your door. You amused yourself with parties gay and attended theaters night and day. You played and gambled with the devil's cards and danced and necked in moonlit yards. You have hoarded up gold with its canker and rust and gave free vent to your hellish lust. You've drunken and rioted, murdered and lied and mocked at God in your hell-born pride. You've paid your fare, so I'll carry you through, for it's only right that you should get your due. For every laborer is worthy his hire, so I'll land you safely in my lake of fire, where my faithful subjects you will always be, and burn and burn eternally, because you scoffed at Calvary and cursed the man of Galilee. Then the sinner awoke with an awful cry and said, "Oh God, save me ere I die. I'll believe your word and obey it well if you'll but spare me. From a devil's hell. Then he turned to man in tones serene. And said how glad I am. This was only a dream. Let come what may in joy or pain. I'll never again ride on the devil's train. And you who are on his train today. Get off right now without delay. For if Christ and heaven you never gain. It's because you're riding. A hell-bound train. Why not tonight while we stand and encourage?